Good morning. It's uh, another wonderful opportunity for me to share with you from God's Word. I look forward to every time that I am given to be able to share with you what I believe to be true about God. One of the things I, I delight in doing is to being able to talk about Christ. Uh, for He truly is the joy of heaven and uh, it's becoming the joy of my life as well. On Wednesday night, we have been in the midst of a series entitled Portraits of Christ in the Law. It's a study of occasions, events, um, types and shadows in the Old Testament that show us pictures of Christ. Who he was, what he did, and what he would be like and how he would fulfill those types in the New Testament. But this morning I would like to uh, have you turn with me to an event, a portrait of Christ in the Gospels. Uh, This event is recorded in Matthew 8 as well as in Luke 8. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. For it is recorded there, and I think in a more full way. And so please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Now, don't let your familiarity with this story interfere with our understanding of what is being portrayed for us here. This is a pivotal event. Uh, in the life of the apostles. It changed the way they looked at him, and it will change the way they will live their life from that moment on. We're going to be looking at this event in Mark 4, and for our title of the sermon, we will call it The Master. I tried to come up with something really fancy, but I realized, no, this event calls for focus only on Christ as the master or the captain of our ship. And that calls into question as we come to our text this morning, is who is the master of your life? Or another way to put it, who is the captain of your boat or your ship? Now we talk about being mastered and what does that mean? We are mastered by whatever or whoever we serve. We can serve willingly or unwillingly, harsh taskmasters or even benevolent authorities. We can be enslaved to many things like misplaced passion, psychological guilt, phobic fear, abusive relationships, Financial debt, time-consuming possessions, alcohol, drug dependency, and even, if you would, more update, is technological addiction, which is evident by having, if you would, uh, earbuds growing out the sides of your head. We are becoming people who are addicted to many things, mastered by many things. Or we can be mastered as well by constructive choices we make. Like being mastered by Christ. Mastered by His Spirit. Mastered by the Word of God. Mastered by the love 
of Christ in us, mastered by the peace that he gives us, being mastered by the grace that is bountifully uh, granted to us, being mastered by the liberty that we have in Christ, and being mastered, being be indebted to hope. We can be mastered by many things. But whatever we are mastered by, whether it be constructive or destructive choices, I want to announce to you this morning that even our good or bad choices can and are ultimately used by God to serve his purposes. And I want you to see how the Lord uses this event, this, uh, if you would, crisis in the life of the disciples to show them, to reveal to them a portrait that he hoped they would never forget. And so as we come to our text this morning, I'm hopeful that you too will see this portrait of Christ and that it will remain in your heart and your mind when you face stormy weather. Crisis, danger, adversity. This particular event is about a miracle. It's a miracle in Jesus' ministry that truly left a lasting impression in the life of his disciples. In many ways, it was a turning point in their um, pursuit of following Christ. They saw his power in ways they could not quite fully comprehend. Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. We read about that in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew uh, chapter 1 through 4. He began his ministry predominantly in Galilee. And the people were amazed by his authority, by which he taught, as well as by his miraculous works. That he did in their midst. He healed the sick. He exercised, cast out the demons. Even raised the dead. Those are impressive. And a huge controversy uh, arose one day when he claimed that he had the authority to forgive sin. Imagine. Who can forgive sin? Only God. That's a claim that caused great controversy and confusion. Everywhere Jesus went, the multitudes pressed in on him. uh, Just to catch a glimpse of him, or to reach out and to touch him. Or to have him bring healing to to one of their loved ones or themselves. And uh, the crowds, they got so large that one day, and that is the portrait we're going to see here this morning. That one day Jesus stood in a boat offshore in Galilee to preach, to preach to these multitudes because he needed a little distance to be able to project himself and to be able to address the large crowd that was there that day on the beach. So the boat became his pulpit. And he taught them many things, we are told, by Mark, but he was teaching them by means of parables. And even his disciples were amazed uh, at all Jesus had done and what he was teaching. And after one of the most amazing days of Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples it was time. 
It was time to pull up anchor and set sail. That is where we pick up our story this morning. Don't forget the backdrop of the multitudes there, if you would, pressing in on Jesus, him in the boat and the the water lapping up on the shore, and he is preaching and teaching them, but it was time for him to depart. And in this story, it reveals that Jesus is truly, truly the master of all things. Everything. He's the sovereign one. Jesus is the master of everything, but in particular in our story, he's the master of men, the master of his disciples. Now let's pick up our story now in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Let's look at verses 35 through 36. After he had been teaching in Galilee and setting up, uh, prepared to go, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just As he was. And other boats were with him. Other witnesses, if you would, to this account. Jesus is here seen as he teaches and as he is commanding the disciples to be the master of men. And ladies, that would include you. Masters of men and women. The master of our lives. He has called them, let us go across to the other side. That seems like a simple statement, does it not? And yet I would like to suggest to you that this simple statement gives us insight into what actually is taking place in this event. As their master, he commanded them to do as he said. He called them to obey his will. He also commanded them to join in his work, in his ministry. Which was to take place on the other side of the shore of Galilee, the eastern side. Now, you notice on our statement, he doesn't make promises that the journey would be safe or that it would be easy. He just said, let us go. That meant they were under the orders of their master. So as they are in the boat and he says, let us go, they are in the boat with him doing what he asked them to do. They are obeying his will. Scripture says the disciples took him as he was. I suggest what is recorded here is another way of saying that the disciples... They took him as he was in the boat and as he was in the condition of utter exhaustion. Tired, sweaty, fatigued by all that he had witnessed, by all the demands that were made on him, not just that day, but even the days that preceded this portrait of him. 
So keep this in mind as the study unfolds. The danger that the disciples are going to face came as a result of what? Their obedience. That's an important part of our story here. What they're going to face, the danger of the storm and all that is taking place, comes because they are being obedient to God's will. So sometimes as we are obedient to Christ, there will be a crisis. There will be difficult times. There will be adversity. Just because we're obedient does not mean that we'll be safe or easy. But we are called to set sail with him. And maybe just a a little note alongside. Not only were they being obedient, but they were in the boat with him. Him. He's in the boat with them. Let's keep that in our portrait. Let's keep that in the picture of our mind as we read the scriptures further. Wherever Christ calls us to do his will, listen to this, wherever Christ calls us to do his will, he fully assumes the responsibility to protect and provide for us. Can I repeat that one more time? (laughs) You know who I'm repeating it for? Moi. I, some of you may know that I travel to other countries, and wherever I go, usually I have no idea what I'm going to face. I just know I've got a ticket, somebody's supposed to meet me, we're supposed to go to such and such a city, or I'm supposed to do this, and sometimes I have no idea what they have planned for me. So the guy I'm talking to in this sermon is probably the guy behind the pulpit this morning. This is what I'm learning. That it is when we obey the Lord that he assumes full responsibility to provide and protect for what he's called us to do. Do you believe that's true? He will always provide the resources that are necessary, the protection that's necessary to complete the purpose for which he called us. He's the master, I be the servant. He's the captain, I'm the sailor. Well, nothing ever, ever surprises or catches Christ unaware. He knows all things. And nothing can ever hinder or stop him from doing whatever he chooses to do. This is a little caveat here. Remember this. Nothing can ever hinder or stop what he's chosen to do Through me. Through you. If he's called you to a task, called you to a ministry, called you to a life, he is definitely committed to providing what's ever needed to accomplish it. Why? Because he is a good master. If he calls you to something, you can count on the fact that he's in the boat with you. He doesn't ask you to do something and then abandon us or stay on the shore while he sends us into a storm. 
He's the master of men. He's the master of our lives. He's the master of the church. He's the master of the universe. He's also the master of every storm. Let's look at verse 37 through 38. But, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? When they cast off from the shore, Jesus lay down on a cushion in the bow of the boat and fell asleep. Let me give you some theological insight to this. What appears to be a very simple statement, a a profile, a portrait of Christ. If you can imagine being on a, a boat like this and the wind has come up, The boat is rocking, turning, filling up. And the master of the universe is asleep. (laughs) What what is he trying to say to us? What does this say? First of all, he was exhausted. He was exhausted by all his walking, by all his ministering to all these thousands of people who were pressing in. Wanting time with him, wanting to be healed, wanting to have many things. And so what does that mean? This reminds us that Jesus was fully man as well as fully God. And what does that mean to us? Therefore, when we pray, we must remember that Jesus is our perfect, sympathetic High priest. He's a priest who can fully understand our human needs and our weaknesses. We don't need to go to God and try to inform him what it's like to be tired or to be exhausted or to be at the end of your physical resources. He knows that. He experienced that. That's why he is the perfect High priest. He's the perfect captain of this ship. Now as the little boat sailed, we are told that the weather changed. Probably changed quite dramatically, very quickly. Many of the disciples were seasoned Galilean uh, fishermen and sailors. But apparently they had never been in something like this before. Mark describes this storm and uses the word in the original, as whirlwind, or if you would, like a tornado. Maybe a Sirocco wind coming off the desert hits the cool waters of Galilee and forms kind of like a a tunnel effect, tornado, if you would. But Matthew's account describes the storm as a, here are all you Greek scholars in the room this morning, guess what word he used? Seismos. Where have you heard that word before? With earthquakes, right? So what Matthew is saying is that this came about like an earthquake. 
with everything being turned upside down, tumbling to the left and to the right and the front and the back. Earthquakes and hurricanes, tornadoes, they're kind of things we're familiar with. That's a crisis. That's dangerous. With the waves crashing over the bow of the boat, water, we are told, began to fill up the boat. And when it begins to fill up the boat, there is one thing that becomes obvious. You're in danger of drowning. (laughs) It is a crisis. It's a moment in which these men did not know what more to do. I'm sure that some of these fishermen, sailors said, uh, drop an anchor. Maybe that'll help. Somebody else may have said, uh, drop the sail. Another one said, no, let's sail. Use the wind. Maybe get out of here. And I'm sure, though I have no textual evidence for this, that the Apostle Peter was yelling out things for everybody to do. I told you guys, bail. Just keep bailing. Bail. Double your efforts. Come on, you guys. I'm a charger. Do it. Do it. Redouble your efforts. And you know what happened? No matter how hard they worked, no matter what skill they had, the boat was going to sink. And I'm sure the disciples looked at each other at a point here in the story. And what they probably said to each other, or at least were implying, is, what are we going to do? This storm is going to sink this boat, no matter how hard we try. No matter how much skill, no matter how much effort we put into it, this is a crisis beyond our human capacity. That's part of the story. Out of their control. And fear was written all over their faces. But when they looked to Jesus, maybe a smile, calm, peaceful, maybe snoring. He was calm. He was asleep. Here was, imagine now the portrait. Here is this son of David, this rabbi from Nazareth, who had said these amazing things and performed all these miracles, laying a boat, sleeping. This is the God of the universe. (laughs) The man who performed all these things. The healer of disease. The worker of great signs and wonders. He's in the boat. But he's asleep. When we need him the most, he's asleep. What does that mean? So in desperation, the disciples, they go over and they wake him up. Master, master, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? What's revealed in that statement? A lot of things, right? Panicked, they're accusing him of what? He doesn't care. He's sleeping through our crisis. He doesn't care that we're perishing. Doesn't care that the boat's going down. Let me say this. 
what you believe to be true about God will be tested in adversity. Just count on it, okay? Put that aside and, you know, put that in your Bible front page. Whatever you believe to be true about God that's written in this book will be tested every day of my life or especially in times of crisis. Count on it. So don't be surprised by the storms or the events, the crises in your life. Because those days will come. These times are when we begin to question the sovereignty of God. Or we begin to question his love, his power. We are tempted to interpret God's silence in our time of need as not caring. Does he care? That's what this story is going to suggest. He does care. We may question if God is good, why am I going through this? I'm a good guy. I paid my tithe at tax at the, at the synagogue. I, uh, I've kind of done all the law that I felt I could do. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, but sure better than some of those pagan guys that live in Samaria. So Lord, why me and, and not them? Some even question the very nature of God. In trials. If God is good, either he isn't all good or what? He's either not all powerful. So which is it? Even in Jesus' day, many people questioned his claims. They questioned his care. And the thing that they, he was most often questioned or people had trouble with is his timing. His timing was rarely on their day runner. Was not into their uh, outlook schedule. And they interpreted it. If he didn't answer their prayers according to their time schedule, he didn't care or he didn't have enough power. So that here is being tested. I guess we all at one time or another have uh, doubted the love of God or doubted that he cared. But I want to say something that is most astonishing was to me when I wrote it out, thought about it. At this moment, when the boat is beginning to sink, I suggest to you as I read the story, these men we're in the safest place in all the world. You go, well, Pastor Don, it can't be the safest place in all the world because they're going down. But can I ask you a question? Uh, who would go down with them? The master of the universe is in that boat. The safest place for any of us is when we are in God's will, doing what we ask us to do. No matter what the danger, no matter what the crisis. Because he's with us. Remember this, that before 
the foundation of the earth. It was determined by God to save a people for himself. Do you remember that? God's beloved son was sent to die on the cross for our sin. Drowning in the sea was not the death God planned for him. He had something greater to do. This was also not the death God planned for Christ's disciples either. Who are these guys anyway? Sometimes when I read them, they look like misfits. <laughs> like, Jesus, why couldn't you found some, you know, some more you know, smarter guys? Or guys with you know, more education or who had more of a religious background. He picks these men out of a very raw, untrained state to become who? The foundation stones of the church. Do you think from a human perspective there was an opportunity here for the... Uh, the church to fail, God's plan. Humanly, you could say, yeah. Biblically, no. God had determined to save a people. He would save him by sending his son on the cross. And he was determined to work through the 12 men that he discipled. Because in them, the gospel resided. In them, the Holy Spirit would take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God would not allow that to not be fulfilled. See, he's determined. Our God, if, if, if you can use the word stubborn, I think he's a stubborn God. He's determined, no matter how much I protest, no matter how much I say, no matter how many times I question him, he's determined to do his pleasure. He remains faithful when I am not faithful. The men in this boat were chosen by Jesus for a special purpose. And that purpose would not be forfeited even by one of the most devastating storms maybe that Galilee had ever seen before. They were the future of the church. Therefore, they were the objects of God's eternal plan and protection. But that day was not their day to die. They had been appointed today, but this wasn't it. You remember that their appointed day for almost every one of them was martyrdom. That day was not yet. And remember, it was Jesus who commanded, let's go over to the other side. He didn't say, let's go to the middle of the sea and drown. Saying, come with me, we're going to the other side. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he'll do. He'll guarantee that they get to the other side. His responsibility is our safety, our protection, our care. And what's our responsibility? Obedience. And that's what they were doing. And I think it's fair to say, as Esther said, if we perish, we perish. But we perish doing God's will. 
we perish only by his will. Christ's people, this is a huge statement to make, but I think I could support it. God's people are invincible until their divine purpose is complete. Okay? I'm learning how to live that way. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm working at it. When I go to various places, I have no idea what I'm going to face. I'm always remembering that this could be dangerous. There are some places I go that when I go outside the door, that some of the men with me will say, Pastor Don, don't go out yet. I'll say, why? Just don't go out yet. Okay. Stand there at the door. Then about four men, pastors, they come along and on one, two in front of me and two behind me, and they say, okay, now you can follow us out to the car. No, that is, to me, that's not just being respectful. <laughs> There's something there. They know, and I don't know. There are places I go where they'll notify everybody in the church auditorium or the classroom. They'll walk up. I'm just getting ready to teach and say, well, before we start, I want to remind all of you, whatever you do, don't tell anyone that Pastor Don is here because he would get in trouble. So I'm sitting here going, I hadn't even really thought of that. Now go ahead and teach. <laughs> okay. Or one of the pastors I go with, he's a professor. He's under scrutiny by high officials. He's a pastor of a number of churches. He uh, has influence in the university. And uh, when we go together, he can't use his cell phone because he knows he's being listened to. So he drives me to a place that other people wouldn't go. Well, I didn't know I couldn't go there. I just went in the car. And he takes me there and he gets, gets to the door and, uh, or to the place. And he says, now when you get out, Pastor Don, would you hurry to the door? Hurry? Yeah, please. So I get outside the door. and I'm, I'm hurrying to the, to the door to the place I'm going. Now, the only reason I'm telling you this is that I really feel like I'm in the boat. There could be a storm brewing, but I am learning. I don't want you to pretend that I've got this nailed down. But I'm beginning to learn my own story, my own preaching. That when Christ is in the boat with us and you're doing his will, he has taken full responsibility to protect me and provide for me. But I would say you can say the same thing. It's not just for me. It's for all of us. This is life transforming. If you begin to get this picture, this portrait of who Christ is, as he's revealed even in this story. I remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can find that in Daniel 3. We won't take our time to go there. But you remember the story that there was this edict sent out that no one was to bow down to, uh, to other gods, that they were just to give their allegiance to the king. You remember that? And what did they do? They disobeyed, civil disobedience. They worshiped the one true God. 
And he got back to the king, and the king goes, stoke up that fire. Nobody is going to uh, not honor me. I'm the master of this universe. I'm the master of this country. Nobody defies me. Stoke it up, brothers. Go for it. He confronts these men, and you know, in essence, what they say? Our God will deliver us. They could feel the perspiration on the brow while the fire's right there. He'll deliver us. But if he doesn't, that too is fine. If we perish, we perish. We must have that confidence that God is protecting us, providing for us, and if for some reason he chooses not to, that is our appointed day. That's the appointed day that we go to be with Christ. Which, by the way, sounded pretty good to me right now. Listen to the news lately. The thought of being with Christ, are you kidding me? The thought of being there with our loved ones, the thought of no longer having a, a body that is prone to disease and sickness and death, to go to a place where there's no longer even the presence of sin. Are you kidding me? The prospect of that is so great that sometimes I'm thinking, yeah, I think I'll go right now. And then the Lord comes back with these thoughts to me. Uh, when your time is ready, your appointed time, I'll take care of that. Until then, you're in the boat. I'm in the boat with you. Go to the other side. Go do what I ask you to do with assurance and confidence. I'm not sure I hear this amongst the voice of Christians today. I hear a lot of fear. I hear a lot of, how would I say, panic. Jesus is proven here to be the master of our souls. Let's look at verses 39 through 41 as we complete this uh, portrait of Christ. Does he care? Well, now we'll see. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And what happened? And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. We'd say quiet. And he said to the apostles, Why are you so afraid? How have, have you still no faith? Still. You still don't get it? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Wow, what a wonderful story. Jesus awoke and he said, to the wind, and he said to the waves, be at peace, be muzzled. It's literally what it says. It's like he was saying to the wind and the ocean, be tame, you wild beast, be quiet. Once before, Jesus made that same claim, and you will find it in the Gospels where he commanded demons to be quiet, to be muzzled. 
and they obeyed his voice. Which is inquisitive, causes me to have questions. Is it possible that behind this storm, you find the serpent attempting to destroy the seed, of Christ, that being Christ and his church? I don't know that. All I know is Jesus said as he, to the ocean, as he said to the demons, be still, quiet, be muzzled, I don't want to hear that voice anymore. And it was calm. He's the master of our souls. Then he asked two questions. So why are you still so afraid? What's he saying by that? Why are you still so afraid when, when I'm with you? Why are you so still afraid when you've seen all the power I have? When you've, you've heard what I've called you to do? Why are you still so afraid by the events of history? By the, by the storms? By all the uncertainties of life? Then he says, do you have no faith? You're questioning whether I care because you're going through a crisis? <laughs> Haven't I shown you more than that? If he couldn't save them from the storm, he could not save us and save them from their sin. And the disciples said became even more frightened. You know why? They were afraid of the storm, no question about it. But when it calmed, it's as if they said, they said, I'm even more afraid. Who is this that's in the boat with us? Who has that kind of power? And I have the answer for them, and they're going to learn it very quickly. And the only reason I learned it is because Mark writes about it. The one in the boat is God. He's God in flesh. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He has the authority to be able to muzzle demons and to muzzle the wind and to silence the sea. In our own stormy situations, Christ can bring a calm and a quietness that nothing else can, even in the midst of the storm. That's what he does. He responded when they went to him. When did they go to him? After they exhausted all of their earthly wisdom and physical strength. Does God's apparent silence to our prayers mean he doesn't care? No. God seems silent to some of our prayers because he's working all things together for a long-term solution to what appears to us to be an immediate need. He's working all things together for what? Good. Good. And sometimes his delays to answer prayer are not no, but they're what? Wait. If we are obedient about his work, we have nothing to fear. Can God comprehend our cry for help when we feel that we are perishing? Yes. Jesus cares. Jesus fully understands our human condition because he was the divine God, man. God in flesh who endured many of the hardships that we face. He knew what that was like. He knows what it's like when we go through these things. 
And Jesus is the master of our destiny. We live in a very scary day, if you haven't noticed lately. I mean, there are serious new threats almost every morning that we read about or hear about. There are threats of drought, earthquakes, terrorism, senseless hate crimes, Ebola, and beheadings. And how do we process this? How does the church look at the world? How do we look at the days we're in? How do we live in days like this? Well, let me suggest a couple things. We are to believe that God is sovereign over all things first. Agree? If you don't believe that, then meet with me afterwards and I'll send you to some of the elders of the church. They'll talk with you about that. I firmly believe that. I'm convinced of that. And this portrait reminds me of that. We are here by the will of God. You are in this building, in this seat, in this church, by the will of God. Though you say, it's my will, I decided to come to church today. I didn't have anything better to do. Or, I'm here because I want to worship Christ. Yes, you were involved, but he willed that you'd be here. He willed that the disciples would go with him. He willed that the disciples would be in the boat. He willed for the, the, the storm to be there. And he willed to quiet it and to protect them and to get them to the other side and to become the foundation stones of the church. We are to be assured that he who called us is always faithful to complete what he began in each of us. He who began this work in you of faith is committed to complete it until the appointed day when we go to be with Christ, whether it be in death or it comes at the time of the day of the Lord. Do you guys believe what I'm saying or not? I mean, I'm not looking for big affirmation, but these are transforming thoughts. I hope you can buy on with me here. If we believe these things, then the question we ask is, who is your master? Who is the captain of your boat? Who is the master of your fate? Who is the master of your destiny? This portrait tells me it is Christ. That's who he is in this portrait. He's the master, the sovereign one of all things. The sovereign one over all the earth, over all the created things. Demons, the devil, good men, bad men, big storms, bad storms, earthquakes, you name it. Ebola, big governments. See what I'm trying to say is, church, why are we so afraid? Could I suggest one thing, sort of, maybe it's too obvious for everybody? That these are the days that we want to be in, (laughs) that we should be here. I mean, look 
listen to the cry of humanity in America even. What do they need? H O P O E. Who has H O P E? U S. I didn't say A, U S. Us, the church, the believers of Christ. This is our day. They must hear from us. Our hope is in Christ. It was never in science. It was never in medicine. It was never in the governments of men. Our hope is always founded and dependent upon Christ and his kingdom. Take your eyes off of the world. Put your eyes on Christ, the portraits of Christ in the Bible. That's where I place my hope. If you do not have that hope, would you mind if I shared with you a few portraits of Christ that give hope? So who's your captain? If Christ is your captain, you're going to feel safe in the midst of a dangerous world. Max Lucado, who has written a number of uh, what I call coffee table books, attempts to explain God's perspective of our cry of injustice. Listen as I read from him, and then we'll close. It wasn't right that people spit in the eyes that had wept for them. It wasn't right that soldiers ripped flesh out of the back of their God. It wasn't right that spikes uh, pierced the hands that formed the earth. And it wasn't right that the Son of God was forced to hear the silence of God. It wasn't right, but it happened. For while Jesus was on the cross, God did sit on his hands. He did turn his back. He did ignore the screams of the innocent. He sat in silence while the sins of the world were placed upon his son. And he did nothing while a cry was heard. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Was it right? No. Was it fair? No. Was it love? Yes. In a world of injustice, God once and for all tipped the scales in favor of And he did it by sitting on his hands so that we could know the kingdom of God. So who is the master of our ship? Are you in the midst of a crisis and you're redoubling your efforts? Lots of luck. If you're in the midst of a storm and you've run out of energy and solutions, I have a suggestion. Go to to Christ. He's in the boat with you. He's never abandoned you. You're the one who walked away. You're the one who wandered. That's my story. (laughs) How about yours? I wander. He doesn't. He remains. And he could be here this morning beckoning some of us 
would say, I know you've been trying to do this on your own. It's way beyond you. Why can't you admit it? (laughs) Your strength is ebbed. All your wisdom doesn't seem to find the kind of solutions you want. It's time to go to Christ. We're here this morning by the will of God. I believe that to be true. You're here by divine appointment. I'm preaching by divine appointment because it came up at the last minute. I'm preaching to you this morning something that I think the Lord laid in my heart. And I don't know why. Only you may know. All I could say is Christ is in the boat. He's here. He's waiting. And he loves you and he does care. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this portrait of our beloved Savior, your incredibly uh, glorious Son, Jesus. And we're here this morning because we believe you have called us to this place. You're the one who foreknew us. You're the one who predestined us. You're the one who called us. You're the one who justified us. And you're the one yet to glorify us. And yet we're declared glorious. So Father, this morning, you know the hearts of your people. I don't know how to appeal or what to say to everyone here. I guess I know my own heart. And that is convince us that your son is present with us always. That he's in the boat with us, no matter what kind of storm or adversity we face. We're not we're never alone. And that your beloved son never gives up on us because he's committed to complete what he began in us. Thank you, Father, for your stubborn love, for your stubborn grace when we wander and become stubborn to you. Now, if there are those here this morning who are uncertain of the future, who are paralyzed by the fears of the world, Fear of failure, fear of uh, adversity, fear of any number of things. Where there's perfect love, you cast out fear. And I pray that the love of Christ will be so mature, so full in us, that it'll squeeze off, push away all the fears that would bind us. Set us free by your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people in the church. When we depart from this place, Lord, may there be a confidence and assurance that it is Christ who is the master of all things, that he is the one who's ordained history, that he's ordained our lives, that he has purposes for our lives, and that nothing can hinder or keep that from being fulfilled until he wills it. Till then, may you give us your grace. Grace more than sufficient to meet every need we face. Thank you for Christ. We pray in his name and for his glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.